Let me tell you where we've been and so I can tell you where we are and where we're going. A long time ago, we, we, we wanted everybody to understand these three things. First of all, you were made on purpose. You're not an accident. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says, knit together in your mother's womb. Your days were ordained when there was not yet as one of them. In other words, there was a plan for your life. Not only that, but there's a plan and a reason that you were made like you are. You're not a mistake. I know a lot of people think, man, I wish I could change this. I, no. Generally speaking, God wired you exactly like he wanted you for the role that he had for you. And that's the third point. You're still here. <laughs> so that means God has something left for you to do that no one else can do. And so the third point is this. I wonder what he has yet for me to accomplish in this world that nobody else can accomplish except for me. I suspect it has something to do with where he has me right now and the relationships I have. And so as we proceed, we come to this place where we, we realize a big part of this is to realize our ministry that he has given us. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.18, it <clears throat> tells us about the nature of God. That God is a loving God who wants to reconcile us to himself. It says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.18, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. But it doesn't stop there. And giving us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he wants to make us all bridge builders. That's what reconciliation is. It's building a bridge, or is it bridge, so that we can be together. And, and we started this, this um, exegesis is the proper word, uh, this, um, to focus on the story of the woman at the well. Many of you know this story, but it's a perfect illustration of how we can build bridges, how we can be better at building bridges. First of all, we said this. We said to build a bridge, and I just talked to the bridge builder out there, he said, we're on target so far. Um, you gotta, you gotta put down deep moorings on either side of the chasm. Okay, let's say one side of the chasm is you. And so therefore, you go deeper with who you are. You know who you are, you know what you believe. You don't have to change that, you have to realize it. You have to realize you are like you are for a purpose. Now watch. But then you gotta go to the other side of the chasm. And you gotta put down footings there also. What does that mean? That means whoever you're talking to, whoever you're trying to build a bridge with, you have to understand life from their perspective. You have to listen long enough that not only can you know who they really are, but you know how they look at the world. And you can look at the world in part from their perspective. All right? That's the first step in building a bridge. Now, the second step in building a bridge is you put down um, what's called stringer logs. It's, it's not what you walk on. It's something that, that both of you need that you don't have. It, 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 you have it in common, and so you connect at this point. When Jesus um, um, was talking with a woman at the well, he overcame a chasm, four different chasms, as a matter of fact. There was a, there was a chasm of geographies, of, of, of religions, of cultures, of gender. 
He overcame that gap. He went, to, he went over here, you know? But then he said, you know, I've got something I think everybody needs. It's this living water. It's, it's, it's more than you could ever have just in any worldly existence, you know? And, and, and that's what we, that's how the, the first of this comes along. What do we both want that we don't have, that we could help each other with? The woman said, give me that water. I want that water. See, I want you to see how this is working. First of all, she had access to physical water that he didn't have. If you're gonna build a relationship, you have to build it on the basis of humility and wanting, letting somebody know that they have something that you don't have and you'd like to have, you, they, you need them for that, okay? I know everybody in a relationship like to have the upper hand. That's not how you build a relationship. You build a relationship by showing the other person how much you need them, how much they have what you need in your life. But then Jesus had this other thing that, Jesus, that she said, man, I, oh, you're the one I, I need that. Now, what's the third stage? Third stage is this. You've got to build a bed across that chasm that is safe and navigable whenever somebody wants to use it. In other words, bridges don't automatically connect people, but they give people access to one another. And, 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 but in order to go out on the bridge, what do you gotta do? You gotta feel like I can go out anytime I want and I'm still safe. And so that's where we come to at the point of this particular passage. We'll have more next week, but th this is our point this week. The point this week is that when she said, I want that water, in John chapter 4, verse 16, he said to her, well, go and call your husband and come here. Now, why did he say that? Weren't they just having a personal conversation? I mean, wasn't this a person-to-person, -person, individual kind of thing? Here's the first lesson. Nobody just comes to a conversation by themselves. Everybody has relationships that are important to them. And in order to really get to know them, in order to really go deep with them, you have to know who's important to them. Because that is the basis upon which they will make future relationships. Most people will make decisions on the basis of what's good for the people they love, not just what's good for themselves. And so in order to love them and love them deeply and know them deeply, you have to say to them, I want to know who you love. Tell me your closest relationships. Bring them here. Well, two things happen when you do that. First of all, the relationship, the conversation you're having right now has just become more fragile. Because people aren't nearly as afraid when it's just them in a relationship, but when they know that the people they love are also included in that relationship, then any negative word can end the relationship, end the conversation at least. So it's just become more fragile. I wish I could, I could, I could not only remember, but I could communicate to you how fragile relationships are. 
I mean, relationships we don't even think are fragile. They're, people are so fragile. I, I heard this, uh, I read this story uh, a couple of weeks ago about this Dutch ba- uh, uh, bicycle manufacturer, Van, Van Moof was his name. We had Jan from uh, Holland uh, worshiping with us this morning. And, and, uh, but he made these really classy bicycles, you know. But he didn't have a lot of retail stores. He did probably 80% of his inventory was shipped someplace. The problem was they were having, they were having trouble with the shipment people. I mean, there, there, was a, there was a significant level of damage to the bicycles when they were being shipped. Well, this was a big, this was a big, huge challenge. So he got this brilliant idea. Listen to this. This is how smart this is. He decided to change the box in which they were being shipped. It was a huge square box. But what he did was he put a picture of a huge flat screen TV on that box. I mean, inside was the bicycle, but people saw the, the flat screen TV. Guess what they did? They treated it very carefully, way more carefully than they would a bicycle. I wish that all of us would see our relationships packaged in a flat screen TV box because they're fragile. People are fragile. Now, Jesus got down to something very personal. And he said, when he said, go and call your husband, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said to him, now, uh, stop right there. I, I want to ask you a question. Why didn't she run? See, Jesus just pointed out the most painful area of her life. The source of her cultural shame. The reason she was at the well in the middle of the day in order to avoid people. Why didn't she run? I mean, if you're in a conversation with somebody you know is going to be accusatory or is going to be mean or is going to point out things that you don't want to talk about publicly. If you're in a conversation with someone who you think knows way too much about you, as, as, as Pete sang in that song, you know, I'm not, a be, I'm not afraid to be known by you. Why not? See, if somebody, somebody comes after me, and people do on a regular basis, but I got to tell you, my first impulse, if somebody's accusing me or being mean to me or being all crazy with me, is to look for the nearest exit. It really is. I'm just, I'm usually just kind of backing up while I'm smiling. Well, thanks for bringing that up. Why didn't she run? Can I tell you what I think? I think because when he spoke the truth, the accurate truth about her life, she did not hear one ounce of condemnation in his voice. I think she heard love. 
and respect. I think she heard, let's just be real with one another. Let's build a relationship on who we really are. I think that's what she heard. How are we doing with that? How are you doing with that? Is that what people hear when you point out things in their life? I was talking with Matt last week, um, or a few days ago actually, about his, uh, about his sermon last week. And, and uh, I, w- I listened uh, online on Saturday night and I heard him bring up that old adage, um, hurt people hurt people. You know, all of us have been hurt by somebody. And usually it's by somebody who has been hurt by somebody else. That's what gets communicated. Could I just interrupt myself by saying, if you want to communicate the love of God, the love of God is not powerfully communicated by telling someone how much you know about him or about scripture. The love of God is not powerfully communicated even by your current ability to live a holy life. The love of God is communicated by how you treat people. And one of the things that Matt told me that broke my heart is that several of you talked to him in the hallway and and you said, you know, the deepest I've ever been hurt in my life came from the church. It came from Christians. That breaks my heart. That should not be. That was not the tone in this conversation. And the importance of that is this, that once you've been hurt, if you do have the courage to try to re-engage, then that keeps playing in your mind. You know? I mean, think of her looking at this prophet of God and he brings this up and the first tape that goes off is oh here's another one that's going to condemn me until she looked into his eyes and saw something different we've got to realize that God wants us to have conversations that are in front of us not behind us Becky and I went to see Um, the new version of Magnificent Seven. I love cowboy movies. I was raised on cowboy movies. You know, just plug the bad guys, get over it. You know, it's just, and I I gotta tell you, you know, the Magnificent Seven, when Ewell Brenner was in it, it was cool. But Denzel Washington, awesome. It is awesome. And I gotta tell you this, This movie has more overt religious references than most Christian movies I've seen. I mean, it's it's just, it's just, anyhow, you know the plot where there's kind of seven 'er ne'er-do-wells that get together for a righteous cause. They just think it's, you know, it's the right thing to do, but they're protecting 
this, this small town of helpless people, you know, uh, with an army of 200 exploiting, mean, terrible, horrible people. And they're getting ready for this battle. You know it's coming. And part of that group of very damaged people who've had all kinds of things go wrong in their life and done all kinds of wrong things in their life, part of that group is one guy who, was, who went through the Civil War and he still is dealing with that post-traumatic stress syndrome. I mean, he's, it, it, it's, it, and he's popping it up and he's, he's about to face it and he's gets, he just goes back. He just goes back and, and at one portion, portion, portion of the movie, Denzel looks at him and says, you ready for this battle? He said, yeah, I'm ready. Denzel says, I just want to make sure that you're fighting the battle ahead of you and not behind you. That's a good that's a good question for us. We want to make sure we're fighting the battle ahead of us and not behind us. You can't win the one behind you. You can't fix the one behind you. You got to have the, the conversation you're having now. You got to look at the battle ahead. That's the one God helps us with. And so he says to her, you have answered correctly. And then she says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This is a big deal. First of all, let me tell you, basically she's saying, what you just said to me sounds like it's coming from God. When you speak and you love well, it'll sound like what you say is coming from God. But it's also a big deal because the difference, one of the difference between Jews and Samaritans were the Jews believed in all of the Hebrew scriptures, but the Samaritans stopped with the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So they didn't read a lot about the prophets. Even when you don't know a lot about the prophets, watch this, you can sense that there's somebody speaking on behalf of God in front of you. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Then she goes into a theological discussion. When people know that you believe in the Bible or that you're a Christian, they will engage you in some sort of theological debate. Like, I've always wondered about this. You ever had this? Uh, I've always, say, you, you know the Bible, don't you? This is, a, this is a question I have. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, in this mountain, you people. I, like, I love that phrase, you people. Like, there's a difference here. You people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, now it just, it sounds like, I'm going to rush to explain this sentence. It sounds like he just took a side for the Jews against the Samaritans. That's not what he was doing. What he's doing is he's preparing her for his announcement to her that he is the Messiah. By the way, do you realize he revealed himself as the Messiah to this sinner Samaritan woman before he ever revealed it to the Jews? Just saying. Anyhow, what he, the language he uses isn't taking sides. 
I've told you before, don't take a side, take a step. Don't feel like this culture will always tell you you have to take a stand. No, you don't. Your job is to take a step towards somebody so that you can arrive at a truth that is larger than either side alone. All right? That's our goal. That's what the kingdom does. And that's what Jesus is saying. When he says salvation is from the Jews, he's saying, the, 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 the word is ek, comes from, comes forth out of. And so he's not saying the Jews have the truth. He's saying the Messiah will come from the Jewish side. But well, she's just already recognized him as a Jewish rabbi. And so he's just, he's just preparing her for this ultimate truth. Now, let me, let me kind of break this down for you. She goes into what most people do. They want some sort of religious debate so they can find out who's right. Do you know how many divisions we're going to look back on and think, what were we fighting about? I mean, th think of this. There are certain things that seem so important to us right now. But as Jesus looks at not what we've been, not what we've done, not what we've thought, but what we are about to become with him, those become way unimportant. I just went last weekend to my 50th high school class reunion. It was a, yeah, I know. It was, people are passing that down there. How can you be that old and still talk? It was a stitch. I mean, it really was. But I went back to this little town, Shelby, Ohio, and, and uh, we had so many things going. There were so many things that unified us, you know, just being in this town. And, but there was one division point, and I've told you this before. And it was a product of the age, but, but the Catholics and the Protestants, huge divisions, huge. I mean, my mom finally married my stepfather, who's a Catholic. He was so old school Catholic that he never stepped foot in one of my, one of my churches after I became a Protestant minister. He, he loved me, but he was old school. You know, as a Catholic, you didn't go into a Protestant church. Now I look at, and, and by the way, we were taking high school pictures, our class, and this old friend I have um, who uh, was standing beside me, and, and she said, okay, now let's just get the kids from St. Mary's up here. And I turned to her and said, you're kicking out the Protestants again? You did that like 500 years ago. This is very hurtful, you know? She was laughing. But, but, but the point was this. When I look today at our closest allies, in, in, in pro-life issues, in, in fighting poverty, in fighting the pollution that ruins God's creation, in, 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 in trying to help the vulnerable. It's the Catholics. Nobody's closer to evangelicals than the Catholics. Bishop John Noonan and I are very close friends, and we, we're in this. To, and I just think, what were we fighting about? You know, how many of these divisions that you think are so important today are, are going to go away? when we're united around Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, this is not about somebody worshiping in the right place. Can I say this? Incarnation supersedes location. What that means is, 
when the Father came and walked among us in the flesh, when God came, the Father didn't come, when God came and walked among us in the flesh, became incarnate in the flesh, then the location of holy ground was wherever he was. It wasn't the right place to worship. We still, you know, guys my age still carry around a lot of categories with us. And when we talk about holy land, all, we all just default to, well, that's Israel. And it's kind of like, well, yeah. I mean, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem often. But that's not the only holy land. The holy land is where you and I are coming closer to God together. That's the holy land. It's still kind of weird. I mean, I, I, was, I was approached by a representative of the president of Israel um, and a representative of the Knesset to form um, next June the first ever Jerusalem prayer breakfast modeled after our own national prayer breakfast where the Congress convenes a breakfast and the president comes and, and you have representatives from around the world. And so we've been doing this since Eisenhower here. And now they're going to inaugurate one in Jerusalem. I got to tell you, it's a little unnerving and a little weird to be forming a prayer breakfast in Jerusalem. But not when you think, no, they need prayer like we do. And when we go there, God's there. And when we go here, God's here. And when we're together with God, he's right here. This is the Holy Land. This is sacred ground. And so Jesus is saying, it's not about the mountain. It's not about Jerusalem. It's about the presence of God. He says this, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Have you ever thought of this? Usually people try to judge who they have in front of them. If they're, if they're Christians and concerned about the things of, of God, about whether or not those people are trying to get to God. Can I just say in the kingdom, that's not the question. The question is why are not God, whether or not God's trying to get to them. The Father seeks to be his worshipers. Here's the question you ask. Not are they trying to get to God. Is God trying to get to them through me? That's what he was saying. The Father seeks you. You're important to him. He loves you. That's what he was communicating. That's more important than any division of geography or biography or theology. This is... This is the key. And he says, he goes on to say this, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Now, no, no, stop, let me stop right here before I go to the last sentence. The Jews and the Samaritans had two different versions of the, of the Messiah. The Jews pictured the Messiah as a king, all right? In other words, they believed when the Messiah came back, and that's why many of them have missed him with the first coming, that he would establish a political kingdom on this earth, and all of the other nations would become subservient to Israel. Israel would be vaulted to first place politically. But that wasn't what Jesus did. 
Jesus was king, but he was king of a different kind of kingdom. You remember that, that scene in, in the trial where Pilate is questioning him. This is in John chapter 18, starting with verse 37. Therefore Pilate said to him, so you're a king? Jesus answered and said, answered, you say correctly, I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify for the, to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So this is, these are two things. The Jews believed he would be king. And Jesus confessed himself to be the king of a kingdom that has absolutely no dependence on who's in political power. Can I just ask you all to relax during this election season? The kingdom does not depend on who gets elected, seriously. It really doesn't. There's more power and more good to come outside of who's in power than inside who's in power. That's important. Secondly, there's this truth. The Pilate says, what is truth? That was the Samaritans. The Samaritans believed that when the Messiah comes, he will reveal to us all kinds of revelations of who God is, and we will know the answer to all of our all of our. Uh, questions, and we, we will be able to understand uh, everything spiritual. That's what they thought the truth was. Turns out that's not the truth. The truth isn't a concept. The truth isn't about knowing more. The truth isn't about religious information. You know what the truth is? Jesus named it for us. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The truth is not religious information. The truth is a person. And so when we're building relationships, when we're building these bridges, we don't have to know all kinds of religious information, nor do we need to take power in that relationship. We just need to love like Jesus. And then, all heaven breaks loose. Jesus revealed to this woman, and, 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 and it says in this, in this last, in this verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Only it doesn't say he in the original manuscript, it just says basically I am. It's the very same thing that God told Moses on the mountain. Jesus said, I am. And the point of this is not only that he revealed to this outcast woman of shamed reputation before he ever revealed to the righteous of the religious group who he was. But the point is that he was loving her the same no matter who she was and no matter how successful she would or would not be, no matter what the consequences of that conversation. See, I want us to be able to love like that, not be able to calculate 
how much our love was worth on the basis of what results from our conversations. If we have people in front of us that God put in front of us, those are people he wants us to love, no matter who they are, what they've done, what they'll do in the future. He wants us to love them now. One more story. I read this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and it's just kind of a cute story about this guy who was wanting to go in and ask his boss for a raise. Because it's been a long time since he had a raise, since he had a raise, and he was really kind of uh, frustrated because he really put in the work. He was doing a great job. He was yielding great results for the company, and he just felt like he was underpaid. And 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 he and he and he was a little bit intimidated. And so he talked it over with his wife, and his wife said, "Well, just go in, not expecting anything. Just kind of mentioning to him that you think maybe you're a little bit underpaid, but you know, trust him then to do whatever he wants to do with that. And but yeah, go 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 for it." So he kind of screwed up his courage, you know, <laughs> and it came the day, you know, and he left for work and she kissed him and, and she said, I'll be praying for you. And, and so he went in. She didn't hear from him all day, which isn't a good sign. He came home that night. He walked in the door and he just smelled this beautiful aroma of a banquet she had, she had cooked for him. He looked in the dining room and there was all their best china. There was, there was, there was the, the, the candlelight. It was, it was just laid out with all of this, this sumptuous banquet of food. Just two places. Well, she wasn't there. She was in the kitchen. So he went back into the kitchen and he looked at her and she said, he said, I got it. I got it. I got the raise. And she just threw her arms around him and said, I'm so glad, come on into this room. And she pulled out of her pocket this sign, put it right in front of his plate. And it said, my dearest love, I am so glad you got this raise. You deserved it. This is just a little show of how much I love you and respect you and appreciate you. Well, they ate supper. They just had a great time. They were laughing, you know, about how nervous he'd been and all the things they'd been through together. Came time for dessert. <laughs> she got up. She started for the kitchen. Something fell out of her pocket. It was another sign that matched that sign in front of his plate perfectly. And it said, my darling, I'm so sorry you didn't get that raise. We'll be okay. You deserved it, but we'll be okay. This is just a little something to show you how much I love you and respect you and appreciate you. <laughs> That's what love is. That's what love is. It doesn't depend on consequences. It depends on what's in here. When we build bridges, that's how we build it. It's safe for people. No matter what they've been, no matter what they are now, no matter what they'll be, it's safe for people because we love no matter what. Pray with me. God, thank you for this picture of our Lord in this conversation.
that we might match his spirit, that we might match his graciousness. Apply this to our minds that we might not grow shallow and to our hearts that we might not grow cold and to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen.